When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So what an interesting week that was. The special one returned as the Somme rose. Arsenal were rubbish. Both United's drew in the riveting contest and the VAR D-party continued in both senses. To think about that and what it means for the upcoming foster cluck of fixtures, three game weeks in seven days, Nick and I are joined today by the excellent Josh Williams, otherwise known as at Distance Covered on Twitter, to bring some expertise and some scout glam to proceedings. Uh, welcome, Josh. I resisted the urge to uh, try an accent. Regular listeners will know I love to try them, but I uh, don't really want to offend you. Um, but in, in any case, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to the good people? I am Josh Williams, as you can probably tell already. Uh, I have a very strong Scouse accent. Um, hopefully we'll get to okay though. Hopefully the majority of listeners can understand. Um, and yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, my day-to-day role is just to do with, you know, provide mainstream football analysis um, for one of the UK's biggest media providers. Yeah, great to have you on the pod today, Josh. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, it was a bit of an action-packed uh, couple of weeks since we last podded, hasn't it been, Tom? Obviously, uh, Pock's gone, um, so I'm quite emotional about that. As a Spurs fan, obviously, um, plenty to talk about, and we'll be uh, covering that in depth a little bit later. And yeah, it was an action-packed um, game week as well, VAR playing a huge role in the proceedings. Uh, unfortunately, um to the detriment of my actual personal team and to the success of Tom's. But um, we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. <laughs> Just to say, of course, we are who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGT underscore FPL or myself at WGT underscore Nick. And you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you'd like to, to find your pod. So what we're we talking about, Tom? So this week, it's uh, all about looking forward ahead to the next three game weeks, which, as I mentioned, are all spread over seven days. Uh, seasons may be made or broken during this period, like mine was last year. Uh, so it's always good to get focused. We'll do this through peppering in listener questions, as many are relevant to what we're covering. There's features this week, but it's just the market forces because we have an interview with Dad, the dad behind Dad Watch. Uh, so I want to make some time to fit that in as well and also get to all the questions and get through the main pod. So things like the Tom and Nick and the over 30s etc will return next week we've also got some further questions from the community thanks very much for those too yeah sounds good so um let's start with the game week reviews i, I don't really want to do mine um do you want to start first perhaps josh as the guest here and let us know how your game week went and um how your uh, season's progressing in fpl so far uh the game week was i think it was very average for me um i'm happy that we captain delivered because that that's been a problem throughout my season i think i think if you get a captain delivered and it's almost like having two players really and I think that's that's been an issue for me throughout the season. But I went with Mane. 
Um, and I think I ended the game with 65 points, so not too bad. Didn't take a hit before the week either. And the previous two weeks, I've, had, I've, I've been doing quite well as well. I got 70-odd points before the international break, 70 points the week before that. So steadily climbing, but at the minute, it's it's still a very, very unpredictable season, I think. Cool, yeah. And you mentioned you were about kind of 450k at the moment as well. So yeah, a couple of 70s and things like that are all um, all very good and seem to be getting you up there at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said initially, I, I perhaps showed a little bit too much loyalty to the, you know, the usual performers. I think I went for Sterling a couple of weeks. I went for Salah a couple of weeks. And usually I'd go for the player that didn't register any output. That, was, that tends to be how my season's gone at the minute. But I'm, I've gradually lost faith with those players. I think I've seen <laughs> onto a completely different squad now. Yeah, no, certainly it's um, definitely been a, a time which uh, a lot of people have had their faith tested, and uh, lots of movements away from the likes of uh, Salah and Sterling have definitely been seen. Um, on to my week before Nick uh, starts his diatribe. Um, I got 69 points this week, which the, the teenager in me absolutely loved. I've made no changes. Looked at my team and asked myself, "Is it worth making changes?" Should I just roll the transfer, which I did. Um, so yeah, 69 points. Nick Pope at the back came in with nine points. Um, Mane um, and Kevin De Bruyne in midfield. Um, and did the business for me and up front Jamie Vardy captain I benefited from VAR uh, with that penalty being retaken and scoring it and uh, Jimenez as well seven uh, the big kind of question for me last week was do I play uh, Soyuncu or do I play Mendy and I had Soyuncu in a week on Saturday morning I had some time to myself which is very rare normally I don't have the time so I don't look at my team but I did and I tinkered Mendy and I lost myself four points by doing so so yeah uh, 69 points up to 264k now, and I am on equal points with uh, with young Nicholas, uh, which is a first for quite a while. Um, but where I was very, very happy, Nick, you uh, you really weren't, were you? I think I was a, a picture of frustration over the weekend. Really, I was I was quite happy with how it all was going, and then just just a few elements just absolutely destroyed it for me. I, I went for the differential captain in the end, which was Trent. So first, sort of the VAR um, madness was um, aiding me with that uh, disallowed Crystal Palace goal, the first one. But then um, I also had Madison, and um, I did bring in Vardy, but um, yeah, Madison um, lost his goal to the VAR because apparently he, his left toe was in the box when the penalty was being taken. <laughs> um, and then, um, so he lost his goal. Vardy got his points, which captain points for Tom. Um, and then obviously I lost my clean sheet just at that particular moment in time as well. Maddening. And then, um, yeah, Sterling offside as well, apparently. So I lost all his points. I sold KDB instead of Sterling. So I missed out on the, uh, the boring points. Um, bit annoying uh, but yeah Jimenez and Catwell I've got me points but 51 overall for the game week was a bit rubbish to be honest so yeah quite a big um, red arrow down about 70k places to the same um, same rank as you so uh, yeah same points um, but yeah um, you live and learn see what happens next week yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sure that it'll be, uh, it, it, this won't last very long. We're not going to be uh, the same on the same level for, for too long. And uh, yeah, you'll definitely be ascending very, very soon. Right then, let's get into it. We've got a lot to talk about. And the first thing, of course, is to talk about Spurs because we haven't really spoken about them uh, since Poch got sacked and Moo took over. And uh, let's have a few hot takes, I suppose, on, on Mourinho and uh, how you guys feel about it. Um, Josh, uh, as a man who's actually working in the field, working in the media now, like that must have been a, a crazy day mustn't it and what's your view on Mourinho and and Spurs at the moment it was a big day yeah um I was in Newcastle at the time actually uh, recording the podcast down their way so I couldn't actually tackle the um 
you know, content on a topic for a while until the following day. But um, I, I was actually more positive than most when he was appointed. His reputation seems to have really suffered since, you know, his period at Manchester United. And I, I looked at, you know, the squad objectively. And I think one of the reasons they really suffered under Pochettino is the squad is no longer as suited to playing such a, a controlling possession game whereby the whole the whole match is played inside one half of the pitch. Pressing is relentless throughout. And I think Mourinho is maybe not as assertive in terms of the pressing game. And I thought he was, you know, he's, he's quite a short-termish type manager who's going to get results immediately. And I, I just looked at Tottenham's squad and was a bit hopeful as to how it, it did seem to suit Mourinho's tendencies in terms of plenty of physical players, plenty of players that are ready to deliver immediately, defenders that are able to soak pressure and, you know, certain things like that. So I, I was quite hopeful and certainly the first 17 minutes of the match seemed to back that up for me, really, um, until, you know, there was a, a period towards the end of the match where I think they conceded too late on, but up, up until that point, they were, they were really impressive for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a very, very good start. I mean, obviously, as a Spurs fan, I have to say that I was, I was quite devastated to see Pock go. It was a bit of a, bit of a shock for me. I think me, like um, many other Spurs fans, weren't really expecting. It. I know we're in poor form, but I, I'd have thought that his sort of history at the club would have um, put him in good stead. You know, he led us to second with eighty six points, got us to a Champions League final last summer and, and four top four finishes in a row, which actually only Manchester City's uh, managed to do over those last four years. So um, yeah, with Proc going and Marino joining and you know, it felt like we were doing a pact with the devil. Levy had done a pact with the devil, bringing in this uh, guy and a few Hail Marys here and there. I don't know. At first, I was kind of a bit like, I saw what had happened to Manchester United, his reputation with, you know, insulting the likes of... Um, Luke Shaw and Eva Canero at Chelsea as well. And I thought, really, do I want this guy at the club? But I thought his first press conference, I was actually quite impressed by him and the way he spoke about the club and the way he spoke about the players. And you could certainly see that in the first performance. Um, the likes of Hung Min Son, obviously, and uh, Deli Ali putting in um, consummate performances, which starts to make us think, actually, we could start to look at these players again um, you know FPL teams because obviously for a significant uh, period of this season we haven't really looked at the Spurs players at all and I know we've got a few questions on that but I think for now it's certainly all eyes on me. Yeah it certainly is and I think Mourinho the key with him I think is is the fact that for FPL purposes that is he's so predictable almost we know that Kane, Son and uh, Ali will almost definitely start every game uh, which is uh, a little bit of a difference I mean Pock was obviously did uh, trust in a few players like Kane, like Son although he, he was flogging those guys but definitely the case now that things will become a bit more predictable perhaps of the lineups and as Nick just mentioned they in FPL become worthy of consideration so as a segue into the theme for this week it is upcoming three game weeks in seven days uh, game weeks uh, 14 15 and 16 are all played out over the course of seven calendar days and of course we can't go for all 20 teams uh, but we're going to pick out some key teams here uh, just for, for chat about you know some of their key players and the, the guys you should be looking at perhaps for over the next three and maybe up to the next five up into the blank in game week 18 uh, to start with Spurs then obviously uh, Spurs have Bournemouth at home Man United away and Burnley at home uh, over the, those seven days and uh, We've got a few questions on these, as mentioned. So, John O'Forward and FPL Sis ask, is it Son O'Clock? Uh, Matthew Jones asks, which Spurs assets should we be knee-jerking in? 
and FPL Awesome asks if Nick will get his Ben Davis shrine out again anytime soon. Um, so, Nick, um, I, I'm sure that really in terms of this, that there are a few players now blipping on your radar. Who are you interested in going forward, if anyone? I think the main man probably has to be um, Son for now. Obviously, Kane um, leading the line for Spurs. You know, he's the guy that you'd perhaps look at um, outside of FPL, but I feel like his price is still a little bit prohibitive at 10.8 million. And the fact that he's a forward rather than a midfielder, he doesn't really get assists. So you'd only be looking at Harry Kane for goals. And, you know, he hasn't been as prolific this season and the last season than he was in 17-18, when he got 29 goals. So we know that, and we talked about it a little bit in the past, about Harry Kane's form having dropped off a little bit. Whether that will change at the Marina, I don't know. You know, you talk about the whole new manager effect, things being exciting at the club again, um, you know, things all being positive, at least especially with what the media are saying and then what other FPL managers are saying. But I mean, I'm still remain a little bit of a pessimist. You know, I'd, I'd like to see a few games under the belt. You know, West Ham, let's be honest, they were atrocious. They, they played really badly in that game. So, you know, it might have just been, a, you know, we were quite lucky that was his first game to play against a team that, I mean, they lost sort of four or five of the last seven or something. So, you know, they're in pretty, um, pretty shoddy form. So um, I'd like to see a few more games. And I think um, Bournemouth at home and Manchester United away will be, will be tougher tests for Spurs. But I think in terms of the players... Um, Son's probably the one that I would definitely um, look at. He's actually top of the market forces as well. So a lot of people, um, a lot of people interested in Son in terms of the FPL right now. Well, in terms of the Ben Davis shrine, not quite yet. Um, it's interesting that he got the nod ahead of Danny Rose, uh, but I've already got Gaza in goal uh, from a personal perspective. And Ben Davis did pick up a knock as well. So maybe down the line, um, also mode that I might start getting that shrine out, but um, not quite yet at this moment in time. Um, what do you think about Spurs then from an FPL perspective, Josh? Uh, I think for me, there's there's three players that, that take my fancy at the minute. Um, I think, first of all, obviously, you start with Son. But I think that explains itself, really. I think he's arguably Tottenham's most dangerous player. Um, and he's he's highly suited to, to what Mourinho seems to be intended on doing. I think in his first match, he, he obviously used a 4-2-3-1. Um, but I really picked up on a difference in 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 the the style of play. Really, um, I think under Pochettino, as I said before, certainly in the glory days, they were they were inclined to um, build a possession game so that basically the, the opposing team are penned in, and then once they're penned in, then then you start taking risks on the ball and you start trying things. Whereas I think Mourinho showed an intent to progress up the field really quickly, basically use the traits of the players at his disposal in. You know, Son, Deli Ali, Lucas Mora, all very mobile types of players. And, you know, he's, he's trying to take advantage of that by basically as soon as you secure a possession, play forwards through the lines and move up the pitch very quickly. And, and, and basically, I mean, it's similar to Bruce Dortmund, the way in which Bruce Dortmund's attack at the minute, just slow possession play. And then just a, a quick ball straight through the lines. And, and before you know it, you're, you're on the opposing defence. So, I think Son certainly suits that style of play. Deli Ali was another player, obviously, that, that showed up to me. He, he seemed to be playing a role that was very similar to, again, what he, what, what he was fulfilling in his glory days. Um, he was a number 10. And, you know, rather than drifting away from the, the penalty box, he seemed more inclined to drift towards it. He was making late runs into the box and things like that, linking the play, um, operating on a half turn. And he just looked... I, I wouldn't say 
battle was all level just yet, but in terms of the role, it looked very similar. Obviously, Pochettino had to change things around last season and a little bit the season before as well. I think just simply because he he didn't really have a midfield. Um, that you know the main player in his midfield was Musa Dembele. He was sold, and I think Spurs had to go down the route of you know a midfield diamond with just all his best players basically, and that resulted in Eriksen's output diminishing, Delhi's output diminishing, and Mourinho seems intense on the store and that for me. Um, and the final player was was a little bit of a risk, but Sergio uh, Um Obviously, he's a bit he's a bit renowned for being a bit erratic on the ball and things like that. But Mourinho used a four two three one, as I said. But once possession was secured, it was quite asymmetric the formation. So Aurier advanced up the field as though he was a winger, and then Ben Davis would tuck inside to form almost a situational back three. So. Although Aurier is down as a fullback, you can see him getting plenty of attacking returns if, if this is going to be Mourinho's go-to formation from now on. Um, and I think I think he did get an assist on the day as well. Yeah, no, he definitely did do that. I I noticed, saw that as well with Davis basically just providing that kind of solid platform for Son to just use his industry or use his uh, energy to basically roam that flank as far as he wanted um, in terms of that uh, Nick getting the uh, getting the shrine out which is a, a, a something that he's done in the past because when, when Ben Davis was a very very attacking force and um, he was uh, much beloved but I think yeah, in terms of that um, I don't think Ben Davis is going to be a straight balling up that wing at the moment. I think we're looking at him providing that platform for Son, so maybe not. Um, I think on the Aurier point, um, one thing that might be interesting as well is when the Sessegnon's fit, because I think that Mourinho's tried to sign him many times as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he's finally got the chance to work with him. But uh, in terms of the key players, you're completely right. Like To answer Jono and FPL Scissors' question, um, Son, yeah, very suited, it seems, to Mourinho's game. I'm hoping that the bump with Mourinho and the fact that he's probably going to be playing every game will help him have a whole season. So he's had a couple of seasons of disruption, hasn't he, with South Korea. He's never really quite had this kind of Salah season where he's just smashed it all year long. It's amazing that it could actually happen under Mourinho. Um, but it sounds like he's got to make the best of the lads he has, and Son has to be the key there. Um, with Kane, I think, uh, diminishing as an FPL force. Did get his goal, of course, but basically the playmaker now, isn't he, in some ways? Um, and as you mentioned, Ali's looking rejuvenated as well. Uh, Son up to nine point seven, I think. He well, he is. I've bought him, so uh, yeah, that you can see that I've uh, gone straight back in on him. But I've come to him. Well, I'm not mad at you. The door is always open for Son. But Ali eight point four is a very interesting choice as well. Less than one percent owned before this weekend, probably going up a little bit now. Um, but interesting to see where the stats start and how they go. Those three games are going to be good ones uh, if you are like Nick and want them to be a testing ground. Yeah, Bournemouth, Man United and Burnley are three games which are quite tasty to see what Mourinho will do against clubs like that. Um, however, I'm kind of a, I'm more, I was more inclined to jump in on Saturday, which I did. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm interested to see what will happen with Spurs. But they're definitely kind of a team that I wouldn't say you have to cover them right now, but it's always good to make the most of a new manager bounce. We saw with Man United last year when Solskjaer came in, ironically, to take over from Mourinho. Let's move on to Liverpool, um, which is always very good to have a scouser on to talk about. Um, so Liverpool's next three, they've got Brighton, Everton and Bournemouth. And actually up until the up until the blank in game week 18, they've got a really nice little run of fixtures. And, and actually after that too, so Brighton, Everton, Bournemouth, Watford, Leicester, Wolves and Sheffield United um, all the way up until game week 21. Uh, there is that little break in game week 18, though, as we mentioned. Um, so we had a few questions on this as well. And... Uh, 
well, FPL Chancellor, as he always does, set the agenda. He said, we need to tap into Josh's Anfield knowledge. Does Josh see clean sheets ever happening? And is there any clear reason why they haven't happened yet? So any insight on that, Josh? What's going on? Because we've all had Liverpool defenders for the season. Indeed, we started with a doubler. And we've just not seen those clean sheets come in, even though Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold have provided attacking returns. It is an interesting one. Uh, I actually wrote about it myself. And I, I actually started the season with, with the double up on Liverpool fullbacks. And if, if you look at the underlying numbers and, and things like that, Liverpool's performance isn't that different. Um, by this stage last season, I think we'd, I think we'd faced and expected goals of about, about nine, I think. Um, and I think now it's around 11. So slightly worse off, but if you, if you look at the number of shots that we're taking, I think we're averaging about one more shot per, per match. And I think we're facing around, around two more as a consequence. So, it looks like the attack's got a bit of a boost, but the defence has taken a little bit of a hit. I haven't said that last season, despite having unexpected goals faced of about nine. I think we only conceded five. So, you know, we've really overperformed the, the the expectations, really. Alisson obviously had a big impact when he first started. And this season, we obviously missed Alisson for around, I think it was around eight games. And since he's came back in, he hasn't really done anything wrong, but we, we are used to Alisson performing beyond what's expected. He doesn't seem to have done that just yet since returning from injury, which is relatively understandable. But Liverpool is still facing, you know, roughly nine shots per match, which most of the time, if you're only facing nine shots per match, you're not going to concede a great deal. Looking at Liverpool's upcoming fixtures, I I do think it's a matter of time, and I've I've been saying it's a matter of time. (laughs) We all have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before Liverpool keep, you know, maybe about four clean sheets in a row or so, but I am quite surprised that we've only kept, I think it's two clean sheets up to now. I, I can't really explain that one, to be honest. I mean, James Madison, when he scored at Anfield, that was with Leicester's first shot of the match, I think, on the 70th minute. Um, when Newcastle scored, that was Jethro Willems from the edge of the box. He will not be able to do that again, if you ask him. Pukki scored a goal that I think at the time Alisson would have saved. So just certain little things like that. I, you know, I've been stressing that I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. And I still think Liverpool are... Uh, Roughly the best defensive team in the league. Yeah, I remember as well. I think it was uh, Danny Ings' goal. And I think um, certainly in terms of defence, um, a lot of us have been quite heavily punished. I think a number of us went with the double defence at the beginning of the season. I actually, um, I actually fancied Liverpool for a clean sheet in this game, and I took that gamble and risk of um, captaining Trent Alexander-Arnold, which really didn't work out for me in the end. But you know, I just, I really like their attacking fullbacks. It, they do offer so much going forward, and it's just really sort of shown in the underlying stats. In terms of the the chances they're creating, and in terms of the defence as well, they have been really unlucky. Just two clean sheets, but they've not conceded more than one goal in any of these games. So it's only eleven goals that they've conceded, and uh, yeah, thirty six shots on target that they've conceded overall, which is um, less than three a game, and is um, the the best in the Premier League. I think uh, Chelsea are second with thirty eight shots conceded on target. So I think I still feel like with the the Liverpool defence, I mean to have one is is almost like a hygiene factor, isn't it? But I think Robertson's um, in terms of picking up those assists, he's actually been slightly outperforming uh, Trent, which has been a bit annoying um, for myself personally. But I think potentially there is a case still for doubling up, especially with the sort of the next three or four. You could make a case that they should be able to keep a clean sheet, for instance, in the Brighton at home game. But you can definitely see a sort of an 80, 89th minute, Neil Moore pay um, goal, consolation goal, of course, because Liverpool will still win. But you can see a, a goal coming, can't you? It's just mm-hmm. inevitable. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it, there's parallels with Man City, isn't there? Like last year when they just seemed to concede one big chance every game. It's been a bit annoying, but I think, you know, you've got to keep your head up in that regard and just kind of think, well, if you've got one, I think TAA seems to be the one that most people have. If you've got two in the same vein, as Josh just said, it's probably going to come. Hopefully it is going to come. I mean, obviously it's Gander's fallacy to say that it's bound to happen, but equally it seems to make sense to say that uh, they've been a little bit unlucky given that that shot volume is very low. And uh, yeah, it's just going to, you know, hope, hopefully it will start with Brighton, but it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating, isn't it, seeing that clean sheet go. Um, but yeah, I think that most people will have uh, TAA at least at the moment and I think there's definitely a case to double up, even with the, as Nick mentioned, the attacking output for Robertson as alongside TAA is just so good that having that kind of double up at the back, it's, it's now just having the two number 10s, isn't it? Because they are the, the creative playmakers for Liverpool. Uh, but moving forward, uh, it's, it's all about Mane and Salah. So most people now have Sadio Mane uh, in, in FPL. He overtook. He's now the same price as Mo Salah. He's long overtook uh, Salah in terms of the uh, the ownership. And Salah's injuries, of, of course, have uh, uh, slightly dented his appeal. Um, I think I saw something that was at 14% of, uh, of live ownership at the moment is, is on Salah, which is, is really, really low for him. Uh, Mane, as I said a few times, is the clutch player for Liverpool. He scored 29 goals this calendar year, uh, only 20 for Salah. And I found the quote from Jurgen Klopp, which... Uh, about what happened with Mane. Uh, he said, we all know he's a world-class player, but now he's started to realise that himself. Uh, he needed more confidence when he came in. And the only criticism I ever had of Sadio was that maybe at times he was the only one not to see just how good he is. So he's quite a humble bloke, isn't he, Josh? And I mean, has it been surprising to you to see how consistent he's become? A little bit, maybe. Because I think certainly according to the numbers, Salah's like the ultimate data player, really. I think if if you look at statistics alone, Salah looks like you know the investments if you like. But if you actually delve deeper than that, it, it looks like Mane's perhaps more efficient in how he applies his game. Like Salah tends to shoot more, he tends to try more on the on the pitch, basically take more risks on the ball and things like that. But when those don't work, he tends to look bad. He you know he looks he looks worse. He looks a bit more erratic. He looks a bit more unreliable. Um, and he, he's prone to going through periods, particularly when he's got a knock, such as after the Champions League final when he dislocated his shoulder and he first returned. And at the minute, he's got a bit of an ankle problem that he's persistent with. When that's the case, and he's still taking these risks on the pitch, he can look really, really reckless. Um, whereas Mane tends to take around a shot less per match. As a result, he posts a lot of XG and things like that. But if you actually watch him, he looks easier on the eye. He, the reason he takes fewer shots seems to be because he makes better decisions on the ball, really. He knows when to shoot and when not to shoot. And as a, as a consequence of that, his conversion rate is generally quite high in comparison to the average player. And as I said, that just stems from he's making the right decisions of when to shoot, when to pass in comparison to Salah. But, you know, two top players, but at the minute, I agree on, on you know, Mane seems to be on top at the minute. And this season, up until about maybe five or six weeks ago, this is the first time that I've transferred Salah for Mane. So, and I watch every single minute of Liverpool. So, obviously, there's something in that this season. Yeah, def- definitely does feel like Mane's um, going from strength to strength. And I've, I've always said on the pod that, you know, well, I haven't always said it, but in recent weeks I've said oh, I prefer Mane because he is actually the cheaper option and just going, you know, purely on economics. You know, you can't have both, so why not go for the 
the cheapest and then you can spend elsewhere. But now they're the same price. You look at the form that the two players are in. It's, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it, that you, you stick with Mane. Mane is the one that's um, delivering week in, week out in terms of returns. And, yeah, he really has stepped up his game in terms of being, you know, uh, potentially, you know, sort of right up there as one of the best players in the world now um, in terms of the performances that he's putting um, putting in for Liverpool week in, week out. And I think from an FPL perspective, he, he is the he is the key guy. And obviously, Mo does Mo Salah does have injuries uh, from some respects as well. Um, you know, some people might fancy him because he's also on penalties, which means you know. Um, he's got more chance of uh, getting a goal if they do take a penalty as long as James Milner's not on the pitch. And, um, you know, some of the underlying stats, we've always said that Mo Salah takes more more shots than Mane. But as you mentioned, there's quite very interesting uh, points you're making there about Mane and, you know, being a bit more careful on the ball um, when um, taking those um, goal attempts, which is why he's got the best conversion rate of the two. So I think at the moment, I think we all agreed that the, it's, it's Mane, but... You can you can never write off Mo Salah. You know, two seasons ago he banged in thirty goals, or um, you know was the player of the season. Could easily could easily come back. All right, cool. Let's move on to uh, Arsenal then. Let's have a little break first, though. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Arsenal, um, a team with great fixtures, but can we trust them? It's, it's Norwich, Brighton, um, West Ham up next. Thomas, the uh, the Arsenal fan here. Um, can we trust Arsenal? No, let's move on. <laughs> so that is the long and short of it. I mean, uh, we did like, we get a question on this as well. Uh, so Ronan Megan asked, "Is Aubameyang worth holding for the Norwich game?" It was quite a quite a specific one, really. But I think it kind of, it kind of reflects the fact that Arsenal have degenerated into Aubameyang or nothing. Although, of course, you know you've got um, Lacazette who scored the brace and just about pulled us out of the, of the mire against Southampton. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was speaking to I think it's Nate Evans on Twitter earlier on. It's the same. Like it's more of a case of uh, looking at that and thinking well is it going to annoy you to remove Aubameyang and him do something against Norwich obviously he didn't against Southampton it's just looking like at the moment the team is so dysfunctional it's a bit like Spurs pre-Poc leaving that it just doesn't look like it's worth doing like it's a case of Emery being like me against the world and everybody seems to want him to go I don't see any reason why he's still there um, but at the risk of me going onto an Arsenal round I'm going to cut it short and uh, ask Josh instead what his opinion is of Arsenal should people be looking at them for FBL I'm guessing no wouldn't advise that but at the same time, if you already own Aubameyang, I, I would suggest holding them. That would be my advice on that one. I think in, in terms of trust in Arsenal, they just seem to have gradually, since Wenger's decline and then Wenger's departure, went towards the, the, the football and perspective of you have a goal, we have a goal, basically. I think the general objective in most cases, certainly regarding possession football, is Make sure you take plenty more shots than the opposing team. And if you do, you have more of a chance of winning the match. Currently, you know, Arsenal under Emery and last season as well, they get consistently outshot by the opposing team. Hence why, you know, the, the, so many matches are in, are in a state of flux for the large majority. Um, and hence why they become reliant on quality players such as Aubameyang. But just looking at Arsenal's current fixtures, They've got Norwich and West Ham inside the next three games. So me, they're the two worst defensive teams in the league. Although people will have been inclined to look at Southampton and think that that will have went down a similar use. For me, that you know that's not the case. I, th- I think there's a saying in boxing, styles make fights. And I think that's the same in football. I think Southampton have a style that's relatively suited to play in Arsenal just because of you know Hasenhuttle's game and, and things like that and how that matches up with maybe the mistakes that Arsenal have in the deeper areas of the pitch. 
And I think Norwich in particular are just a really, really open team. West Ham are the same. West Ham tends to face consistently clear-cut shots. So he's a player, considering how good he is in and around the box, he's a player I'd be inclined to hold if if I already had him, which I, which I don't. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. I think Arsenal at the moment, they're a hold club. If you've got one of the two forwards, Lacazette being the other one, I know a couple of people took a punt on him and he obviously got that brace. If you own him, then definitely hold for the Norwich game, Brighton, West Ham. Next three really nice fixtures for Arsenal. Uh, the defence, I wouldn't go near the defence at the moment. I wouldn't trust them at all um, to keep any clean sheets. I think they're actually... Um, they're right up there in terms of goal attempts conceded over the course of the season. I think they've got the second worst defence in that regard. Um, so yeah, so far this season. So I think yeah, the defence seems really shaky. But the attack, I mean, there's there's not really any midfielders to talk about in terms of FPL. But the attack, Lacazette and Aubameyang, those are the two guys. But with um, you know the likes of Vardy and Jimenez and even um, even Rashford. Um, and Abraham, obviously, as well, putting in good performances week in, week out um, for slightly cheaper as well. I wouldn't be looking at those guys right now, personally, even with the, the really nice fixtures. But um, moving on to a team that have been in, in really good form uh, defensively and offensively, uh, Leicester. Um, what, have you um, had Leicester players in your team this year, Josh? You, you tripled up. Um, what do you think of Leicester um, in terms of their next fixtures and uh, their performances this season? Currently doubled up on Leicester, so I have Vardy and I have Soyuncu as well. I think they're certainly the fourth best team in the league for me. Weirdly overperforming, which I'm sure you're aware of. I'm sure that's a, a common talking point that I do often see. But even their standard normal level, even if they do regress to what you would label as the mean, they are still for me the fourth best team in the league. And you know, there's, there's plenty of questions regarding Jamie Vardy too, whether he's overperforming and things like that, which he is, but. You know, once you delve into the reasons why, it becomes apparent that it's maybe not entirely sustainable, but there's a reason behind why he's, why he's overperforming to this extent, because he's only taken two shots a match, roughly, which isn't a great deal. But if you consider how clear-cut those chances are, you're going to outperform your XG. For example, if he gets a clear-cut chance during the match, that's relatively easy to score. That chance will still only have an XG of roughly about 0.3. So if you get two of those in a match, you've got a next year of about 0.6. But if you score both of those, you've got two goals. So just in that single match, you've overperformed your XP by about 1.4. And he's, he consistently seems to be doing things like that, hence why he's overperforming as a whole. For me, I wrote about it today. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a retweet when I get back on Twitter. Um, but he, he seems to be the man for Leicester who is literally doing nothing other than finishing moves um, that's that's literally all he's doing mm-hmm. um, I had a look at in Europe top 5 leagues 70 strikers have averaged over a thousand minutes and I think he's second bottom for passes per 90 he's just not engaging in the build up but he's the type of player to once the move gets to its climax that's when he gets involved hence why he's such an output player yeah, absolutely, and he's perfect for FPL, isn't he, in that regard? Um, I looked at a, a few of the numbers around him, and yeah, it's a 39% conversion rate at the moment, uh, which is really, really good, um, or very, very high as well. Um, and to your point, he actually had an uncharacteristically high number of shots in the last game, six against Brighton, uh, which really helped uh, even out that number a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's crazy at the moment, and as you said, um, Vardy is 
just been charged by Rogers to finish, hasn't he? Um, he's basically in the last day Michael Owen uh, in his prime um, to some extent because that, that's all he's interested in. That's all he's doing. He's not part of the build-up, is he? And that, that's why he's also a bonus hog in FBL because he doesn't do anything except except score. And he only has, what, as you said, what, two chances a game? I think that's definitely true. We've long noted that. It's just for whatever reason, the, this year, well, for whatever reason, probably under Brendan Rogers and the system he's playing, the quality of those chances is just so high that if he takes two shots, scores them both, then you've got loads of points plus bonus. Add on top of that penalties, and you've got a really high XG plus a lot of points. Um, and I think we see every year a lot of masochistic people when this sort of thing happens, when a form player emerges like this, when obviously there's a few flashes in the pan. But when you see a form player like this emerges, there's loads of people who say, oh, never, it'll never keep going, we'll never keep going. But like you know, after a while, especially when we're at this point, when Vardy has done a lot of damage to people who don't own him, you've got to be thinking, why did you do this to yourself? Like, wh- why why, did you go through that? I mean, Nick, you're a man who bought Vardy in last week, but you didn't captain him. What was the reason behind that? Like, Surely it was worth uh, putting the armband on Vardy and just kind of thinking, well, let's just run with it. Yeah, maybe. I think, obviously... You know, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. Um, it could have paid off. It didn't, unfortunately. Again, you know, it was it was second half goal and quick assist that uh, uh, really did the business against me. And again, if that penalty hadn't been uh, Vard, then um, it might have been another story. So, um, yeah, obviously, at least uh, you know, I brought the guy in. I didn't punish my I wasn't masochistic, as you put it, and, and decide not to transfer him in. I think we've covered Leicester. Uh, Pretty much in depth, obviously, you know, the defence as well, worth considering, like Ben Chilwell putting some really... Um, I know you've, you've brought him in, haven't you, Tom, actually, Ben Chilwell? Yeah, I have, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I wish I could have got Ricardo. actually. He's, he's outscoring Madison and Tielemans at the moment. Obviously, there was that little flourish earlier on. But, you know, I really like Ben Chilwell. I think he's basically a, a cover for the, for those attackers. I mean, Tielemans was pretty uh, pretty anonymous uh, in the last game. But, um, but Madison, yeah, always looks good. But I, I'm, just, I'm just not convinced by him. But anyway, we, we have spoken about them to death. Um, another team we have spoken about to death is, of course, Chelsea. Um, the next two, as particularly, are incredibly juicy. West Ham at home, as Josh mentioned, they are one of the worst defences, uh, one of the bottom two defences in the league, and Aston Villa at home and Everton away. Lots of chat about them this week because obviously Mason Mount was uh, didn't play against Man City. Uh, the Athletic said that um, Lampard had chosen to go the steal of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic against uh, Man City to try to counter their uh, threat through the middle, which kind of makes sense. But obviously loads of FPL managers have taken that as a flimsy pretext to drop him. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, to be honest, if you are going to try to rush on Son or something like that. I didn't choose to. I chose to keep Mount. And, I mean, I looked at, I looked at him over the last six. He's been starting right. Um, he's fair for shots amongst midfielders so he's had more shots than Madison actually over the last six uh, but he's not very good for chance to create with only eight but he's been eclipsed by a couple of his uh, midfield comrades. Uh, Willian is top for both shots uh, and chances created over the last six in the analogue stats. Um, and Pulisic is uh, second for XGI amongst mids in the expected ones. And he's had more shots in the box than Willian as well. A very, very selfish player in the Mane mould. He's quite good. Um, so, Josh, where are you with the, the Chelsea boys? And I'm coming to Abraham in a minute, who I'm guessing is just a huge hygiene factor for everybody. What's your setup with them and how do you view them overall? Overall, really impressed with Chelsea. They're doing a lot better than I initially expected. Um, obviously, they're getting a few good results, but if you look beneath the surface, you know the results are very much deserved. What I've just mentioned earlier about dominating your opponents in regard to the shot count, Chelsea seem to be doing that most weeks, posting a really high XG, whereas on the defensive side, posting very low. So their, their results do seem reliable. I mean, for me, they're comfortably the third best team in the league. I currently only own. 
Sammy Averham. I did own Mason Mount early in the season. I actually owned him for when he scored against Norwich, so that was good. But a week later, when I, I used my wild card, so he he wasn't part of my plans moving forward. But he he's a player that I have had my eye on since, and he's a player that I would advise people to keep simply because he is inclined to score, he is inclined to be involved high up the field. The one aspect to his game that he doesn't really seem to have is a real creative passing element to his game. But he, he seems to balance that out, certainly in FBL teams, because you know he, he takes set pieces and things like that. So he's a really useful player to have and in terms of owning certain Chelsea players, whether it's in defence, perhaps less so the midfield, simply because I think the players in the midfield area for Lampard, with the exception of Mounts, I think they're less inclined to score. And then you look at the attackers, for me, they are, as I said, the, the third most reliable team in, in the Premier League. Yeah, they have been very impressive and yeah, we, we've certainly seen a change in them. Um, I remember at the beginning of the, the summer, a lot of people were writing off Chelsea because of the transfer ban and, and losing their talisman in Aiden Hazard. But uh, Lampard sort of worked wonders and some of the uh, the young players that really emerged this season that perhaps a little bit unexpected in the preseason, um, like the guys from the Championship, Mountain Abraham, who've sort of become staples in our in our FPL teams this season. And I think, you know, we, we're even talking now about the likes of um, Tammy Abraham even getting the armbands perhaps this, this game week, uh, primarily because of that poor West Ham performance but not just because of that but because he's been a solid um, FPL pick this season he's, he's now got 10 goals to his name to assist even in sort of the running for the golden boot perhaps um, no one would have really predicted that I guess at the beginning of the season so um, yeah I, I really like Abraham um, I think he's, he's really starting to be like one of the key players this season, it seems. And um, Mason Mount as well um, was disappointing. Um, they didn't start against Manchester City, but it was a it was a tactical decision based on the opponents that they were playing. So, um, you know, I'd expect him to to be back in that team. And I, I don't think I, I can really sell him or, or look to sell him at this particular moment in time, especially with this fixture. I think he'll be... Um, Important player, I think. Obviously, yeah, um, William, who, who Tom mentioned earlier, really performing well in the underlying stats as well, having a great season, and, and uh, Pulisic as well. With uh, he's uh, also performing brilliantly as well. Um, you know, a bit of a slow start. Um, looked like Callum Hudson-Odoi might actually be um, the man in the uh, starting eleven, but Pulisic really starting to to show his um, talent that everyone knew he had. Yeah, certainly. Is it 30, 39 points, I think it is, in the last four? That's, that's pretty crazy, especially if you jumped on him for that. And he's a 12.9% owned, so the ownership is ratcheting up. But nevertheless, as I mentioned earlier, a very selfish player and one that is, is a godsend, really, for a lot of FPL managers. I wish I could fit him in, but I'm going to stick with Mount for now and hope what Josh said was true, that he's going to get those goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I owned Pulisic this week, I'd certainly be looking at captaining him over Abraham. I do love Abraham, and I think I think he will get my armband this week just because how bad West Ham are. Um, interesting uh, parallel actually between Abraham and Vardy uh, at the start of the season. Uh, Tammy's uh, conversion rate was thirty nine percent as well between game weeks one and six, but it's a bit lower now. It's seventeen percent the last six. He's fifth for XGI and um, having overperformed assists, but he's not been particularly good for XG over the last few. Um, I can kind of understand why, though, to some extent. I mean, they, they have played Man City, and I think that you know, the, the good times are going to roll again, opening and. And yeah, I think he's going to be the guy's captain. Um, I mean, at the back, you've still got Tamori, for example, but I think there's a bit more of a moot point and, you know, 
double or even triple Chelsea attack going forward is going to be pretty key, I think. All right, a couple of other teams to look at quickly. A couple who are perhaps a bit unfashionable as well. Uh, so, so Southampton, uh, fresh from uh, frustrating and almost nicking a victory against Arsenal, uh, have Watford, Norwich and Newcastle. And indeed, this is their uh, purple patch of fixtures, really. Um, they've got quite a nice run um, up until game week 18. Um, after the Newcastle game, they play West Ham at home, Villa away, uh, Chelsea away in 19, and then Crystal Palace at home again uh, in game week 20. So a, a nice little run there for Southampton. I don't think there's any players in, in FPL land who are particularly useful apart from Danny Ings. Uh, Danny Ings, 12 shots in the box, five big chances, two goals in the last five. A massive 67% goal involvement for them. Uh, so he is obviously the talisman. Um, but, I mean, it, it does seem to be Ings or bust, doesn't it? Unless uh, Gineppo does turn into the uh, the new Sadio Mane, right, Josh? It just doesn't seem like Southampton are going to be of interest to us. No, I mean, generally, especially with attacking side players, you would like to pick those players that are, you know, playing with teams that are generally quite reliable on the attacking side. I'm not sure Southampton are. Uh, Danny Ings has always been quite an interesting player, though, because he's always been inclined to get good shots in good areas of the pitch. Um, He's got quite a poaching instinct about him. Very alive in the penalty area. Um, It's just a case of, A, he doesn't really have the fitness to play week in, week out, the full 90 minutes. I think Abraham's actually a little bit like that. And B, he's, as I said, he's not really in a dominant team, so he's not going to, he's not guaranteed consistent chances week in, week out. Yeah, I suppose he's quite cheap, but I think, especially considering the level of output delivered by the current strikers in the Premier League at the minute, I think Danny Ings is going to be, you know, quite low on the pack on order. I think Danny Ings, at least in the next few, if you own him, he's one of those players that you would fancy looking at Southampton's next three, but also the next five, you could fancy him to, to get a few goals in those games. So, you know, I think in terms of the cheaper alternatives in the forward line, when you look at that price range, he's, he's the standout pick, really, in, in comparison with the, some of the other guys at that same price, like um, Wesley and Morpay. I think outside of Danny Ings, I think he's the only person that we can really talk about. Uh, when it comes to Southampton, there aren't really any other options, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I think there's 3.7% owned Danny Ings. Um, so, you know, maybe there's scope there to be a differential. And um, the only thing is FPL General always says that he's a guy who's massively injury prone. So, I mean, do you want to buy a player in who's basically a hospital pass waiting to happen? Danny Ings is made of glass. So, you know, he's going to fall over and shatter a toenail or something and he'll be out for weeks and weeks and weeks at, at some point soon. Um, if you're willing to take that risk and, move, and lean into it, then go for it. I think that's it's quite a nice little differential given those numbers and the fixtures to come. And the XGI being so high, if Southampton score, you've got a very good chance of uh, Danny Ings being involved. But yeah, um, I'd be a little bit reticent on them. And one final team to speak about here, Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, Crystal Palace, and another team with some pretty decent fixtures. Burnley, Bournemouth, Watford, next three, and after that they got Brighton, Newcastle. Another team though, where there's, there's you know there's not too many options that you're looking at from an FPL's perspective. I guess the only thing that's worth highlighting again is is the good value that they offer. Um, Zaha's obviously been very absent this season, only showing up to frustrate our Liverpool clean sheets with his first goal of the season um, at six point six million, as would be. Um, inevitable with Zaha um, but then there's a few other really cheapies that are worth talking about perhaps briefly Jordan Ayew at 5.1 million um, it's got four goals to his name um, an even cheaper um, option if you're looking at sort of like a third forward that can sort of rotate with um, sort of a four-man or five-man back line then Jordan Ayew's your man and uh, 
and Martin Kelly as well in the team at the moment, only 4.1 million. No, um, he actually, no, sorry, he only had played 20 minutes in the last game, so uh, not, not too great from that perspective. And but yeah, I don't know what you think about uh, Crystal Palace. Are you, are you a fan of their players, or you're not too sure about them from an FPL perspective? Uh, I think defensively, possibly, but on the attack side, certainly not. No, I think they're possibly the worst attack side in the league at the minute. Um, I'm not exactly sure now, but certainly before this weekend, they'd taken the fewest shots in the league. I think it was about six, six fewer than Sheffield United. I think I think Hodgson's just very middle of the road, very safety first. And I think looking at those upcoming fixtures, perhaps Burnley and perhaps Watford, I can envisage those being very, very tight, perhaps two clean sheets. But on the attacking side, as I said, just because of those numbers and how cautious the team are, I just wouldn't have enough faith in, in the team as a unit to be able to attack so that a player can can post certain returns. So although Wilford Zaha is relatively cheap, Palace as a unit, as I said, just aren't reliable enough to rely on attacking returns. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you're right at the back. I mean, there is kind of some interest there. You know, you've got the old warhorse Gary Cahill, for example, 4.5 could be of interest to people. Uh, Dear Mama Sacco could be another guy who's of interest to people. But, you know, I can picture me rolling maybe of Zaha. But, no, I mean, I, I share your cynicism on him. I know James from Planet FPL is, is quite interested. But you know, one goal in 14 games, as usual, looking okay in the stats, a decent number of pen box touches. But my issue really is the player's head. Like, does he really want to? be there uh, apart from a goal this week and a pen assist in game week 10 versus us like when you've got chambers to put him down is there anything sparking me other than price and fixtures uh, no not really um fixtures do beget form though sometimes as, as we know so it could be the case that he's of interest um if he does start to pull it out and become uh, palace's talisman in terms of going forward so the goals have to come from somewhere they can't come from you know james MacArthur getting a lucky goal every now and again or the defense uh, scoring but yeah, I think he's one to watch and wait on for me. He's not one to dive in on right now. But I completely understand, again, the other side of it when you take a risk with a player like that. Um, a player who, at the back end of last season, was it was incredibly good for them in keeping them up. I mean, if they do hit relegation trouble, who knows? Maybe we'll see uh, Zaha come back to life, especially if the shop window starts to open around January sort of time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not really a, a, a club which is of a particular interest. So um, overall, hopefully that was useful. And hopefully over the next three, um, you'll really flourish as FPL managers as the uh, on lot of games that uh, starts to take off all right let's take a break there and move on to the features who got the assist who got the assist Hello, so we're back and it's time for the feature section now. It's a bit of a shorter one this week because obviously all of the top bit was uh, very, very good and uh, took a bit of time. And also we've got an interview with the, the man himself, uh, Nick Stad. Uh, but first, it's the market forces. Uh, Nick, you're the man across numbers. What's going on in the FPL economy this week? So people are still looking at Jamie Vardy, those that have uh, missed out on his returns, those that decided not to get him in for the Brighton game, have seen another 12-point haul and just think, God, bring in this guy. Everton at home up next still a really nice round of fixtures after that Watford Aston Villa Norwich um, definitely captain material in all three of those games so uh, Vardy the most attractive man um, at the moment in terms of the market forces Matt perhaps not on the pitch but in the market forces he's leading the way um, yeah scored five games in a row can you break his record from the other season back I don't know but Vardy most um, transferred in player right now uh, but Son isn't too far behind him at all actually um, it could easily overtake him he's only 2,000 transfers behind with 156,000 transfers in so far for, for Son 
Son's scored or assisted in the last four games, um, you know, showing some really good form. Now it looks like a revitalised and refreshed Spurs. So um, a lot of people looking at the form of a home game that's up next for Son, thinking, I want to get this guy in. And uh, yeah, very attractive um, for managers. Uh, the player's being sold, though. Aguero, 175,000 transfers out. He's got an injury, so um, a few people are looking at Jesus online as well. But um, yeah, Aguero being sold heavily. People perhaps transferring him out for Vardy. Uh, Sterling as well, attracting lots of sales. Um, over 100,000 for him. That's three blanks in a row. Um, owners feeling a little bit grieved, obviously, about losing that last-minute goal. But his price is probably proving a little bit prohibitive for some FPL managers. But Newcastle away up next. We'll have a question on him in a little bit. Other players being transferred in. Uh, Soyuncu, 80,000 transfers in for him. And Jimenez, um, 80,000 transfers in uh, for him as well. What, what do you think about Jimenez, Josh? A little bit surprised at how Wolves are doing. To be honest, I, I envisage them having some issues, maybe, simply because of, well, largely the Europa League in comparison to their actual squad, they haven't got quite, they haven't really got the squad to, to deal with two competitions like that, was my perspective. Um, but they do seem to have coped relatively well. He's not a player that I've particularly delved into a, a great deal, but, you know, I, I know Wolves have taken an up saying recently, again, they're a similar side in terms of not being wholly reliable in terms of attacking the Saints just because they're, they're a largely defensive team. They, they soak a lot of pressure and then counter-attack Beyond Traore, who's a differential option himself, I think there's, you can't really look beyond him. And so he's almost, you know, guaranteed to to deliver the large majority of Wolves' outputs if they do get solid, solid results, which they seem to be doing at the minute. Yeah, certainly the the talisman for Wolves there is anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, elsewhere just to cover that off. Uh, Pulisic has been brought in by seventy five thousand people and uh, sold. Uh, Mason Mount seventy almost eighty thousand managers have uh, parted ways with Mason. And finally, Josh King, who I'm surprised is still in squads, has been sold by sixty one thousand managers who have finally seen enough of him. Right. And the final thing this week uh, we're not doing the others is uh, a quick dad watch interview. A little bit of a, a little bit of a special feature. So earlier on. This week, Nick sat down with the man himself, Ian Harris, and asked him, what's the secret to success this season? So for our hashtag DadWatch section, we are joined by the man himself, Ian, also known as FPL Novice. Uh, you can't find him on Twitter, but if you ever want to speak to him directly, feel free to send me a message and I can act as a relay for the comms. Uh, so to provide some background, this is my dad's first year playing FPL and he has smashed it from the start. Great couple of opening weeks, helped by the likes of owning... Mane and KDB from game week one meant that he actually had a 3k overall rank from the end of game week two, something I've never had myself. He's also managed to keep up the pace as well uh, since by captaining Vardy uh, week in, week out, unlike myself, and has also had a five-man defence the last few game weeks, including the likes of uh, Diego Rico and Lewis Dunk, meaning that he's uh, still up there at the top around sort of overall rank 40k at this moment in time. So uh, what's the secret to his success? Is there any secret at all? I've asked a man himself. Uh, so, Dad, thanks for joining me to talk with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. So, um, do you want to give a little bit of background, I guess, in terms of your FPL experience and how you are finding the season so far? Well, I first looked at FPL when you mentioned it to me a couple of years ago, and all I did was go on there and do an auto-selection, I think it's called, and got a team and then did nothing for the rest of the season. Uh, last season, I had a zombie team and did nothing with that, obviously, because that's the rules. 
And this is the first time I've actually tried to play the game properly ever since you set me up with a, a pretty good team at the start. Excellent. So um, what kind of tactics do you generally deploy, I guess, in terms of making the decisions within your team? Well, the thing is, Nick, that I know very little about it. So I have to use simple tactics. So I really watch and see how, how I think the players are doing from a number of points perspective. And that's about it. Remember, I haven't watched a single football match this season. So I can't sort of judge very well how these players are doing in the real world only in the sort of stats and uh, numbers game. So it's a little bit of luck then, I guess, and just mainly just purely looking at the numbers for the players. It's looking at the numbers and it's thinking, well, hold on a second, is this a random assist or does it look as though they've actually got a couple? And then I might set them on that basis. Okay. And um, so who's been been your standout performance this um, season so far and who's been the most disappointing for you? I made an error. And that was when I started to get on the Pookie bandwagon and the Norwich bandwagon. I think in my hearts of hearts, when I was actually buying them, I kind of felt, and this might be hindsight, I thought, well, this can't go on forever and I'm jumping on too late. And to be frank, those are the two worst decisions that I've made this season so far. So certainly in terms of of getting things wrong, um, going with Norwich was wrong um, for me. So backing Norwich in a big way didn't work out in the end. Didn't work out at all. Okay. And uh, what have you learned from that then? Well, I think really the focus for me has been primarily on team. So I think going forward, I think I'm going to be looking more at team rather than individuals. There's a few individuals that stand out and everyone knows who they are and everyone seems to have them in their teams. Um, But then I had a tactic for a while where I was thinking what I would actually do is diversify across a whole number of a number of different players and different teams and that failed for me so at the moment I'm thinking of actually concentrating just on what I would call quality teams Um, teams are in the top five top six of the league so that's the plan for the rest of the season then Um, you're not going to stick with what's working you could take a few more risks maybe to try and bolster your status at the top or the the whole process is driving me absolutely potty because the more the higher you get the harder it is to stay higher so although over the last couple of game weeks I've been scoring reasonably well and yeah beating the average by quite a reasonable number of points I've actually had a couple of uh, red arrows and that is that is absolutely driving me potty so I need to do something about that um, but I don't want to become too defensive. So I want to hold on to my position, but I'd, you know, I also want to really um, I have ambitions for trying to get into the top 25K, top 10K, um, which I think will be a pretty stretch for somebody who knows very little about this. You're doing all right at the moment. You just need to continue to do what you're doing because it seems to be working uh, much better than uh, some of our listeners and uh, myself and Tom as well, who are a little bit behind you right now, but not not too far behind. uh, Slowly, hopefully catching up, maybe. We'll have to see. So, yeah, we've had some questions from the community as well. Um, We're very interested in uh, hashtag dad watching and what's been going on over the course of the season. Um, lots of feedback on Twitter we've had to the, the regular sections. Um, we've had a question from DJ Nuiton at Nuiton underscore DJ, and he's asked, have you started to feel pundit pressure yet? Uh, perhaps with your newfound fame from the pod. <laughs> well, um, I don't have fame, um, but um, I think the thing is that it is a stressful game. It's actually changed my Saturday, which has surprised me. 
especially when it starts at half past 12 and then doesn't finish till almost seven or eight o'clock at night. It does mean to say that I am spending an awful lot of the time with my screen open and almost living in a parallel universe where the real world is going on around me and inside my head I'm actually watching FPL and sometimes I accidentally skip yeah. from one to the other. Well, I think you've noticed that with me for a long time now that I'd come over on a Saturday for a family day and you're saying, what the hell are you still on your phone? What are you looking at? What's going on? And I'll be looking at scores and everything. And now you've, you've uh, got that same addiction that I've got. So I know. And it's really random because sometimes I get things that suddenly come out accidentally. So I might be sitting there and I might say, Vardy assists. And people think, well, what are you, you, know, what are you saying? And I think well, I'm supposed to be asking if I'm having a cup of tea and the wrong answer comes out. Well, exactly. I remember the other day when Lewis Dunk got that yellow card and you, you swore quite loudly in the lounge and you got, got told off by uh, my mum so it was quite funny well, I didn't realise that had happened so, <laughs> just, so it, is, it is strange it is, it is ridiculously addictive and I'm kind of determined to do pretty well at it if I can um, and the other thing that happened absolutely stupid really I wanted to captain Mane for, um, for a week and I thought I had but I haven't pressed save the team and he came through that week and it's cost me 10 points. And I literally spent the night tossing and turning about the cost of those points. And it's just it's ridiculous. I, I feel like we've all been there before. I do remember a couple of seasons ago where I was at a party and I was sorting out my Crystal Palace goalkeeper because I had a double up. And I can't remember if it was Hennessy and Spironi were involved. Maybe Peroni as well was involved at the party. But I accidentally transferred out the wrong goalkeeper and then in the warm-up Hennessy got injured and uh, Spironi came on the pitch and got an 11-pointer and then I ended up with zero goalkeeper for that game week as well because I think I had uh, Rob Elliott as my other one who wasn't playing and uh, yeah I was absolutely fuming about that because that cost me 11 points. I know it's ridiculous and it's, um, it's hard to explain if you're feeling a bit grumpy because of your result it just seems absolutely ridiculous but um, yeah so it has it has got under my skin a bit. I don't know if I'm going to do it next year. I'm going to do it this year as well as I can, um, but I might do something different. I'm not sure if I'm addicted or it's just a, a, a passing phase. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, definitely, I think you've probably got the addiction and have to play next year. And some more questions. We've got FPL Kaza. He's asked, um, how did you pick your original squad? How do you decide your transfers? Uh, for instance, he's interested in particular with your Ndonka to Huyberg decision. That was to do with team coverage, was it, at the time? Uh, yeah, just irrational behaviour. I was uh, quite cross because I looked at Ndonka and I don't think he's scored anything for the last two or three game weeks. And I just, just to start, really, Ndonka. No, so I just, I just looked at him and I was just cross and I actually did that. I just did it as a sort of knee-jerk reaction and absolutely <laughs> at the time, I was playing a strategy of trying to have as much coverage. There would seem to be very few clean sheets coming through. Um, so I got it in my head that it would be quite sensible to have coverage, to get, to get as many clean sheets as possible, because they seem fairly random. Oh, fair enough. He's also asked you, did you find FPL stressful or fun like us addicts? I think you've sort of half covered that already. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it, it's a sort of toxic mix of both, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. You get the highs and you also get the lows and, and the stress is involved. I'd like us both to get top 10k. I'd like to win the blooming thing. I don't think that's possible, but um, I'd like to do pretty well at it. It's, uh, I think that's everyone's objective, isn't it? Uh, I don't think I can sit here and say that I know an awful lot about um, football because I don't. No, mm. I don't know. And um, you know, you know far more than me. I mean, I actually make some pretty irrational decisions, which surprises me. 
because I thought that because I don't actually, I'm not invested in the game in the sense that I don't actually have a team that I support. I wouldn't recognise some of the players if they came and spoke to me on the street. Um, certainly, I think a couple that you put in initially, I haven't a clue who they are or who they play for. Well, I know who they play for now, but certainly at an international level, I wouldn't know. I'm not overly invested. And I think that actually helps. And then suddenly, I feel empathetic towards a player or cross with a player, and I make a rash decision, which surprises me. Um, and I do things, uh, do things that I think Tom described my last move as a rookie error, which I think is probably kind. Thanks very much um, for joining us for this uh, special hashtag dad watch interview. I hope the listeners found it useful as well and perhaps uh, caught a little bit of wisdom. Perhaps if you, if you shared any wisdom at all, I don't know, perhaps in terms of uh, the secret to your success, which um, many of our listeners were very keen to try and identify so they can emulate you in terms of your performance this season. But sounds like a little bit of luck, perhaps a little bit of um, skill as well. I mean, you have made some very good decisions, Vardy. I thought it was quite smart getting on him earlier. Yeah, that was a good decision. But then again, I, I recognise the name. And as I say, because I don't actually have um, any um, emotional attachment, I am driven completely by the numbers. So I wouldn't just not choose Vardy because I don't like him or I don't, I don't really know much about them. So it kind of, I think that helps. So I think almost it's that ignorance that it might be the secret to my success, if there is any secret or any success, I'm not sure. No worries. So thanks, thanks for joining us for this uh, special edition. Thank you. That's Bye. Okay. You're welcome. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with the Who Got The Assist Mini League. If you want to join the league, the league code is EIKX03 and it's still being updated at the moment. So um, we're not going to do a full update this week, but just a, a quick shout out to uh, the standalone um, runaway winner right now, which is Kieran Screeton. Um, he got 78 points this um, game week, another really good score for him. Game week rank of 72,000. Vardy captain really doing the business for him. Also got the likes of Pope and Mane and uh, De Bruyne and um, Jimenez and Robertson, etc. Just all getting in points week in, week out. Overall rank now 41st for him. So, uh, so well done, Kieran. Great performance this season and uh, yeah um, we also got our um, FPL Christmas party in association with Fancy Football Hub on the 13th of December always a really good event um, lots of people went last year had a good summer party as well so plenty of managers and stuff to meet up and have a chat and have a little bit of a drink as well so it should be really good fun and that's at the uh, Marlebone Sports Bar and Grill in London we'll be there from 6pm yeah definitely clear your diaries for that one okay so questions for this week and as we've answered already a boatload of them before and it's gonna be a little bit shorter uh, but to jump in straight away and again kind of sticking with liverpool just because josh's on the pod to some extent it's blanktastic uh, fpl awesome asks if we should start planning for the blank now in game week 18 with regards to liverpool assets so because of the uh, club world cup uh, there's no um the liverpool versus west ham fixture has been rearranged to a later double game week which means that most people uh, may be having that on their horizon now in just five game weeks time but you know Josh should we be you know overlooking Liverpool assets because that blank or do you think the fixtures for the for the time being as we spoke about a little bit earlier are just so good that that should just not be a consideration you should be getting Liverpool in just two ways of looking at that one you can you can play safe and plan ahead and uh, gradually get rid of your Liverpool players or you can look to almost almost bring them in as differentials if you like because players will be inclined to, to start moving them out um, 
that is, I suppose, the way that I'm I'm going because my plan for this week was to bring in Robertson alongside Trent, so I already have in my team. But I'm a little bit stumped as to whether to do that simply because of the whole Gabriel Jesus uh, thing. I'm not sure what I'll do regarding that. But I think if if I was, I mean, my advice would be to to keep Liverpool players up until as long as you can, and then maybe for when they actually do go to, I think it's in Qatar, maybe plan it so that you've got two free transfers so that you can you can move them out. Then that's certainly that's certainly going to be my plan if I if I do bring in Robertson. Um, but yeah, it's a tricky one that one. Yeah, I think for me, I'm probably going to just stay with the double up for now. I, I was tempted by the triple up for quite a while. I was tempted by bringing in the likes of Robertson or or something along those lines. But I just don't think it's working for my team. My setup's already pretty decent, to be honest, for this game week anyway. Black line of Trent, um, Lundstram and Tamori. And I don't know if I can take any more of the defensive double up and the, the loss of those clean sheets as well. So I think for me, I'm, I'm quite happy with just having... Um, Trent and Mane uh, for the next game week. And if I'm not going to bring one in um, this game week, I, I don't think I will do for the Everton derby. And then you're only talking about two games before the blank as well. So, you know, there's plenty of other teams that we've talked about earlier on in the pod with good fixtures over that period of time. So perhaps um, just two Liverpool players is um, enough for me, I think, for the short term at least. Yeah, I, I think much like both of you, and like like you, Josh, I was looking at Robertson this week. But you know, things do change in this game. There are we do go through changes very, very often, and uh, there's a case to be loyal to the game and just kind of think, okay, you've got to prioritize the short term. Like as you said, every, people can be maybe overlooking Liverpool, so having three is maybe a huge differential for you, a nice little hail mary, but. I think the fact is there's an abundance of other options. The likes of Chilwell, isn't it mentioned, you know, the likes of Tamori, um, who uh, cost a lot less and are probably going to do a decent job over the next four and don't have a blank um, coming up. I can see both sides of the argument having merit and having credit to them. Uh, for me, I was looking at Robertson pretty strongly. He was penciled in to come in this week, but I've gone another way just because things have changed and uh, Son uh, suddenly became what I wanted. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's one, it is one of those where it very much depends on your play style. Like, are you going to be kind of looking to kind of maximise those Liverpool players? Because as Josh said earlier on, those clean sheets surely are on the way. So if you get the double up, if, even if you go for Mane and Salah, you may see that happening. They're going to be grinding out results over the next few. Tough question. I think at the moment, um, given what we know, five game weeks out, it's looking like the double up is where we are. But Josh, you mentioned a minute ago about um, Jesus uh, being of interest to you. And it's loosely related to the next question, which is to pie off Raz. So FPL Vader asked us if the time has come to finally move Sterling on and this question was asked before uh, Kun Aguero um, was ruled out by Pep for quite a while I think he's going to miss the Manchester derby for example so he's out for quite a long time and the suggestions of course that Jesus and uh, Sterling do very well together there was a tweet put out by the official FPL uh, account which showed uh, that Sterling did very very well in terms of points per minute when Jesus started but that was a little bit misleading two of Sterling's goals in that West Ham game came after Aguero came on for Jesus so it's it's not 
exactly true to say that the ppm is is as they stated it was it was, it was a little bit um a little bit more nuanced than that but yeah certainly jesus is giving a lot of people cause to reconsider that kind of sterling sale despite the fact as uh, nick said in the market forces he is being moved on i mean josh you mentioned that uh, jesus is crossing your mind as a bit of uh, an interesting character to bring in we, we've just got such a, uh, a phobia to trusting in pep i think in the fpl community that often we uh, struggle to see the wood through the trees when it comes to man city so what's your thoughts on Jesus and Sterling, Josh? Yeah, I know Je- Jesus has became has, has come on my mind simply because of the Aguero injury. Obviously, because once he comes in, if he's going to act as Guardiola's main sticker, and he's going to, he's going to play every week. I mean, he's going to perform way beyond his actual value. I think he's only around nine point five, but he's going to perform in terms of how dangerous he is, and in terms of the output he can potentially deliver. He's going to perform to you know roughly a twelve million standard. Um, you know, just just looking as is is he's a bit like Vardy in the sense that he just finishes City's moves. Just looking at his Premier League output here, since the start of last season, he's taken seventy shots in the Premier League and sixty-five of those have been inside the penalty box. He's just that type of player. Is actually really really strong, obviously because he he, he takes a fair amount of shots during matches and. And they're relatively close to goal as well. So he's just a player that, as I said, he, he's undervalued when he's starting. If Aguero isn't in the picture, then Jesus is considerably undervalued. Um, and in comparison to Sterling, Sterling's a tricky one. I still, I still actually own Sterling. Um, I made similar choice to yourself a couple of weeks ago. I, I got rid of De Bruyne and kept Sterling. Um, just because of what he's capable of, I think he's alongside Salah in terms of being, strictly according to the numbers at least, the most dangerous player in the league. Consistent shots, consistently creating for all the other players. But, you know, for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to be delivering lately. And I think it perhaps stems from, you know, the wealth of attackers that Guardiola has. It's a lot easier for City to, you know, to get attacking returns from, from virtually anywhere. Um, and it won't always be on Sterling to find the net. A little bit different if Jesus is playing because Jesus is in the team to score and little else, really. But if, if I do opt against Robertson and I go down the Jesus route, I'll have to take a hit of that. And that will involve getting rid of Sterling. So my move, would, if it's going to happen, I'm not too sure yet, but my move will be Sterling and Aaron Connolly out for Deli Ali and Jesus. But it's it's just one of them toying with at the minute, just a bit of tricky one because then I'd I'd have two high quality, highly involved differentials there. Um, but it's it's a tricky one regarding still really strange to me. Yeah, it does sound like a quite interesting move there. You're sort of getting to uh, top quality players to the price of one essentially, because obviously um, Sterling is is very expensive to to hold and, and keep in your team when he hasn't been returning week in week out. He's certainly been um, quite frustrating for me to hold um, in a, in the last few game weeks when he's he's not been delivering in terms of FPL points. But you know, it is worth highlighting that they've just perhaps had the two um, trickiest games of the year um, in the last two fixtures um, of Liverpool and uh, Chelsea. So, um, you know, he's, he's got through those fixtures and, and now he's looking at Newcastle and Burnley up next, which are two much nicer fixtures and, and fixtures where he's more likely to return. So, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to personally set him right now. I think I'm probably going to 
try and hold him through those two games and hope that he now becomes a, a little bit more of a differential, having had a, a little bit of a sell-off. You know, Sterling is um, obviously, as you mentioned, Josh, he is, he's a brilliant player. You know, he's very attacking. Uh, lots of opportunities presented to him um, throughout the game and he's always getting lots of goal attempts as well. So I think um, I think he's probably going to stay in my team for now. I'm not going to be pieing him off. But uh, yeah, Jesus, um, another very interesting alternative that's certainly come to the fore, what with that Agrero injury. Yeah, I think we always say, don't we, that if you can uh, if you can get a nailed on City attacking asset, then then you buy it, um, which definitely makes sense in the case of Jesus, and he could definitely be an option for people who are looking for that little differential. But I mean, really, when with Pep's teams, it's it's always just the case of basically saying only the FPL gods can judge me from this point because you just, you just don't know week to week. I mean, I I sold. Sterling a couple of weeks ago and I haven't really looked back to be honest he's blanked both times but I've been very very lucky I feel both times as well he's still doing what he always does is is still kind of being fairly quiet but getting through to uh, have that one big chance and it's been pretty nerve-wracking not having him and I did get very lucky against Chelsea with that uh, ricochet uh, goal that Kevin De Bruyne scored to to make it look a lot better than it actually was in terms of uh, removing Sterling and keeping De Bruyne but I mean I had De Bruyne at 9.5 loads of money uh, tied up in him unlike you Nick so made sense for me to remove Sterling I'm hoping that that keeps continuing that he keeps uh, continuing to do nothing but I don't think it's going to happen I think he will score because he's, he's good enough to do that whether I call that a punishment I don't think it would be anymore because I've made a lot of points without Sterling but uh, equally I can completely understand why you're both uh, well Potential. Well, Nick, you're potentially keeping him, and uh, Josh, why you're considering uh, moving him on? I think uh, the market forces seem to show that a lot of people are indeed getting rid of Sterling. Uh, one final question with Sterling as well for you, Josh. Actually, so a few people are saying as well that Sterling could play um, what we call out position, so in the middle um, as a number nine, um, and a, a few people are saying, "Oh, that that's good." Um, but I kind of think, is it? Is it really like what have we learned from Richarlison and well, maybe Rashford and Walcott in the, in the recent past? It's not particularly good for Sterling, is it, to be doing that? And um, Hazard as well is a good example. It, it just nullifies him, doesn't it? If he's you know involved in the hold-up play, um, it's much better for him, isn't it, for him to be, I guess, arriving unmarked late in the box to score those high XG chances. So, like, what do you make of uh, Sterling in that position, number nine role? Do you think it's good for him in FPL or perhaps not? Yeah, I'm, I'm less inclined to look at that as a as a positive, really. I'm not particularly sure it's a negative either. I think I would personally prefer him to actually stay on the flanks just because he's inclined to obviously cut inside and take shots from, from his preferred zones and he's more used to that role and, and things like that. And I think you get on the end of different types of chances if you're a centre-forward in, in, in City's system, similar to, again, going back to Leicester and Vardy. If you're in the team solely to to basically get on the end of chances and finish moves. you just got to have a different type of game. You've got to have a different mentality, a different means of, you know, approaching the game from a, a tactical perspective. And you've got to be quite instinctual in, in your movements and things like that. And I think Sterling's much more suited to to wide play that, that ends up cutting inside. So, um, yeah, if, if, if I do end up keeping Sterling, I, I would prefer him to probably stay on the flanks, to be honest. But I'm not sure I'll do that. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you there. I feel like you know when when you're playing up in the number nine position, you you have to face off to two centre backs. But I think um, 
if moving on to the sort of final question, it's just about form beating fixture, and it's from Ed FPL Rhinos, who's um, said he's always been a fixtures man and, and captain Richardson this week, which was also the, the failed Nick pick, I think. But um, form seems to be winning out. So is there any scope for captaining outside of the top four slash six in time to come? And I think... Um, I, I don't know. I'm not too sure um, how we define the top four, or the top six anymore. What with Leicester's rise to prominence and the likes of Spurs and Arsenal, Manchester United um, not doing particularly well. But I think it is tough to to find players outside the top six and take those risks. Um, I think we both took a risk on Callum Wilson uh, rude a day um, earlier on in the season, which really didn't pay off. And um, you know, you could say there's a case perhaps for the likes of Jimenez maybe as a a little bit of a captain, but that's sort of going back to the form versus fixtures. Him and his, is um, a player in form at the moment as well. And uh, Callum Wilson was actually in form at the time. But I think for me, I think... Oh, don't well, remind me. Yeah. I mean, after taking a little bit of a gamble, um, going a bit maverick with my captain option last week with defender, albeit a Liverpool defender, I'm probably going to go back to sort of safer picks and, and be looking at the, you know, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Manchester City, the likes of Chelsea or even, you know, Vardy at Leicester um, as the captain picks and just um, safely rotate around those guys. So I don't know about you, Josh. What do you think about the uh, the captain options out there? Do you, do you like to play it safe or, or do you take a gamble every so often on a differential captain? No, I, I don't tend to gamble too much regarding captains. I think the biggest gamble I, t- I took was similar to yourselves. I obviously went for Callum Wilson against um, Norwich. But other than that, um, I haven't really, really pushed the boat out too much. I tend to, I said earlier in the in the podcast that I think it's it's really important for your for your captains to just get some sort of the team because it's it's straight away it's almost like you've got two players. So, as you said, I'm not sure too sure what the top six is anymore, but I like to pick a player who is maybe a bit of a talisman for the side, um, heavily involved in the team's attack, and. That team's attack has to be fairly consistent in terms of, you know, a certain number of shots taken each week, sort of thing. So, I wouldn't be too comfortable. I mean, there's a, there's an argument that you could pick captains based on if you're playing West Ham or if you're playing Norwich, just captain a, a player who's up against them. I think Danny Ings is up against Norwich in in next week, maybe or so. There's an argument for that possibly, but. I think I'd generally stick with the players who you know are going to be heavily involved and you know are playing for teams that post consistently good attacking numbers every week. Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. And I, I just just a quick look at the fixtures. I, I don't really see until game week eighteen when Jimenez is away at Norwich um, a, a good time when you'd be looking at doing that. I mean, there are split captaincies, but they're split captaincies with, uh, well, if we're defining Leicester as a top 16, which we almost definitely are at this point, I don't really see a point when you, you're not going to be captaining one of those guys. So this week, we've got split between Mane, Vardy, Abraham, maybe Pulisic, maybe even Son. Uh, game week 15, you've got Vardy against Watford, Abraham against Aston, against Aston Villa at home, Mane um, in the uh, Merseyside derby perhaps, and game week 16 again, uh, Mane away against Bournemouth, um, Vardy away against Villa, game week 17, everyone's in the captain, Vardy against Norwich, I'm pretty sure, although Mane does play uh, Watford, Liverpool do play Watford that week, and game week 18, that takes us up to then, uh, when there's lots of really awkward fixtures for lots of people, and uh, Manchester at home to Leicester, uh, which knocks out perhaps Vardy as well. 
Chelsea are away to Spurs, which knocks out uh, Abraham Pulisic and Mounts of this world, and maybe maybe knocks out Son as well. Uh, so you've got you know, that, that's a good time to maybe look at the likes of Jimenez as your captain. That's the best fixture I think that week. Uh, Norwich um, uh, are at home to Wolves that day, but you know, other than that, I think it's a very situational pick to look at um, captaining outside of the top four to six because, as Josh said, I think it's the consistency, isn't it, to uh, to, to really do that. Um, there is. I, I, I don't know. I mean, looking around, there is game week 15, I think, if we're going to go with uh, targeting the whipping boys, as Josh intimated a second ago. Uh, game week 15, uh, Jimenez is playing uh, West Ham, so maybe that could be one in the midweek fixture when there's going to be a lot of rotation. But Vardy at home to Watford, you know he's going to play that game. I, I don't really see why the captaincy would go anywhere else, except for if you're trying to go for a differential, of course. And that's a very nice segue, of course, to the very end of the pod, which is the transfers and captains for this week. Uh, So I've already made my transfers. I've carried on with my recklessness as it is, breaking all the rules. I haven't taken a hit this week. I had two free transfers, as I said. And I've brought in uh, brought in Son again. This is the second time he's been in my squad this season. I brought him in before his price rose on Saturday night. I took out Tillemont for him. Um, it was quite a difficult decision between him and Mount, actually, but I elected to remove Tillemont because I could fit in Ben Chilwell for Ben Mendy. So keeping the left-back school Ben uh, flame going. Um, but yeah, as I said, I really rate Chilwell. I had him for quite a while last year as well. Got me a few kind of nine, ten pointers from getting an assist and a clean sheet. Uh, last game week, I noticed as well that he, he did get the two bonus too. And he's performed pretty damn solidly over the last few games. Of course, that 19-pointer against uh, Southampton, a, a slight uh, anomaly uh, but still yeah I'm set up pretty well this week um, uh, with that I've still got the Leicester kind of double up I don't have Leicester midfielder anymore but I do have Chilwell and do have Vardy and I think I'm going to be okay there and captaincy wise I'm going to shove it on probably on Tammy Abraham given how bad West Ham are I'm just hoping they do me a favour and keep Pellegrini in the job until uh, until Saturday uh, what about you Josh what are you looking to do this week I know you spoke about it a tiny bit earlier on too Regarding transfers, I think it's it's either going to be a, a straight move to Andy Robertson from probably my worst sign of the season, Joe Cancelo. Don't know, I don't know where that one came from, but he's barely even played. Oh, um, so you're paying. I bought Mendy, so it's a similar sort of yeah, level, isn't it? Yeah, nightmare that one. So possibly that, but if if I fancy taking a risk, then it'll be as you said earlier, just bringing in Jesus and bringing in Deli Ali. And regarding the captaincy. A little bit of a tricky one this week because of the, the wealth of options. I've currently got it on Mane at home to Brighton, but Sammy Abraham does look does look enticing simply because he's he he's a player who showed up. I mean, I was I was actually scheduled to come on on this this podcast earlier in the season, wasn't I? Before the season started, yeah. And one of the, one of the players that I was going to suggest, believe it or not, was Sammy Abraham. Obviously, <laughs> now, I look, now I look like a bit of a liar, but uh, <laughs> I can promise you. And that was because he, last season for, for, for Aston Villa, he just showed up as a, as a player who just consistently gets good, realistic chances inside the penalty box and converts them at a high rate. And obviously playing for, for a quality team. Okay, it's in the Premier League, but I could just envisage that that continuing. So, considering he's up against West Ham, who consistently they don't face a great deal of shots, but when they do, they're quite open chances. They're quite easy to finish. And Sammy Abraham's an expert at getting on the end of those. He's a player that it's it's out of Abraham and Mane for me. Maybe air on the side of, of Abraham, I think. 
Yeah, for me, I think it's um, Mane that's got the armband right now. Was quite tempted by Abraham as well. It's a bit of a sort of a fifty-fifty uh, between those two, but um, I'm leaning towards Mane just because um, I've, I've said this before. I think midfielders tend to offer a little bit more than forwards um, as captain picks, just because they get extra points and they get the points, the clean sheets as well. So even if they don't score, sometimes they can get a clean sheet point, and it's not a complete captain fail. But um, yeah, I think Mane for me. Um, He's getting my armband. Um, in terms of transfers, I'm probably going to roll my transfer this game week. Um, so I've got, so I had two free transfers next game week. I'm pretty happy with the, with the squad I've got for this fixture, um, for this fixture set. So yeah, probably going to roll. Oh, great. Well, that's your lot this week. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, just to say we are Who Got This List. You can find us on Twitter at WGCA underscore FPL. Find Nick at WGCA underscore Nick. Listen and subscribe, of course, across the podding spectrum. We're joined today uh, by Josh at Distance Covered. Uh, thanks very much for your time, mate. Thanks for getting me involved. Yeah, thanks, Josh, for coming on. It's really good. Just if you haven't joined our league, the league code is EIKX03. There's also a theme to every single pod. Uh, last week, it was a green day. We're back this week. We'll be back on YouTube um, on Tuesday the 3rd. And just because three game weeks in seven days and there's no time really to do a podcast. But we'll be on YouTube for a live sort of performance that I'll cut up into a little uh, audio thing as well. Uh, but the good news is I've learned how to do graphics with a lot of help from Football Index Guide and FPL Dave. Uh, so we'll be presenting it like that, hopefully. And it'll be very, very nice and very WTA branded. So looking forward to that one. Uh, but in the meantime, good luck this weekend. I hope to assist you and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Excellent. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for amazing. Thanks. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.